Well, good morning. Um, good to uh, be together this morning. Good to be worshiping um, together. We um, are going to do something this morning, which is, uh, got to admit, I'm a little uncomfortable with um, on many levels, but the biggest level is usually I'm up here um, just opening God's Word and teaching it, and that's what we do, you know? That's, that's my primary role here. Uh, it's what I am passionate about. Um, it's what I love to do. And uh, we are basically not doing that at all this morning. Um, so it's a little bit weird for me. Um, but I do think we're doing something very, very important, important this morning. Um, because... I have to start with, with an apology to, to you guys, because I believe that some things that we've done in the past probably six months, um, but really in the past probably two and a half years, um, we've been getting the cart before the horse a little bit, in that we've been um, trying to implement change, changes here without really explaining the why behind the changes, right? So, so um, I'm not saying we didn't explain little pieces of the why kind of as we were changing things, but um, a lot of the comments that I've gotten in conversations is it just feels like we're changing for change's sake, right? That there's no why, right? right? There's, there's no why behind that. It just seems like we're just changing. Um, and so, and so, what I really want to try to do this morning, and as we continue to have discussions over the next few weeks, and as we keep this, I think, in front of us at going forward, I want to present kind of the clearest vision I can for why we are doing certain things that we are doing, and have a discussion about that, have an opportunity, because you'll have an opportunity to kind of interact at the end, which, by the way, uh, on your handout, at the bottom, there are some questions there that are just some things that, that probably I would encourage you to be thinking about um, as we're going through this, uh, and maybe we can, we can answer some of those questions at the end. I also want to say this. One of the things that I'm convinced of at this point that is actually a hindrance to what we're trying to do, not a benefit to what we're trying to do, is, has been pods. So let me be clear, I think pods are a great way to, to enact our vision. But it has become a conversation about pods and not a conversation about vision. And so pods have actually become kind of a hindrance to some of the conversations I've had. And, and I know that some of you are, are completely on the bandwagon with, we love pods. And some of you are on the other side going, we hate pods. And some of you guys are in the middle going, ah, I could take them or leave them, right? Um, for now, for the benefit of our vision discussion, and as we go on the next few months and continue to have vision discussions, I think it's best to just throw the pods out. So some of you are going to be very happy about that. We're, we're throwing the pods out. As you can see, there are uh, rows of chairs here. That will remain for the foreseeable future so that we can talk about what we really need to talk about, which is not about pods. Pods are a means to an end. What we really need to talk about is what are we doing? Like, why are we here? Right? That's, the, that's, that's a question we really should have an answer to. 
uh, if our answer is, well, because we've been here for the last 60 years, that's not a very good answer. Can we agree on that? Uh, we need to have a clear vision of why God continues to have us here, why he placed us right here on the corner of Roundup and Mulberry, why he placed us in Red Bluff, why he placed each one of you, he handpicked each one of you to be a special forces team in this church for our purposes, our, to fill, not our purposes, his purposes here. Why did he do that? And, and how do we align with, 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 with his goals for our church? And how do we do ministry? And, and, and how, do we, uh, how do we work our facilities or even change our facilities to meet the, the, the needs of the ministry that we're trying to accomplish here? Where do we need to shift our efforts and our focus so that we can be doing what, what God has called us to do here? And... The, the reality is we won't all likely agree on the answer to that question, right? There's going to be disagreement, no question. And there's nothing wrong with that. There, there's no, I don't know of any passages where God's like, you better not have a disagreement between you two, between two of you, you know? No, no, no. He does say some very specific things that we do need to be very, very aware of. And I, and I, and I do want to start there this morning as kind of, a context for these kinds of conversations, not only today, but also as we're having conversations over the next few weeks. Because God doesn't say we, we can't disagree on the best way to do things, but he does say this. He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That is the calling on our church, the calling on our lives, Right? And from an outside perspective, from a worldly point of view, they, they look at that and go, impossible. Impossible to get 100 people of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That does not exist. And I would probably say that's probably true in the world, that that does not exist, unless you're rooting for your favorite sports team, and then it's the decisions of the managers that we're going to disagree with or whatever, right? Uh, but, but in the church... In fact, this is the way church should be. This is the normal standard thing that we should be. We should be of the same mind, the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. We should be that. But it requires something of us. How do we do that? Well, he tells us here, do nothing, not a single thing, from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look, at, merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. If we would take these kind of conversations and be completely outward focused about them, not about me and what I'm comfortable with and what I like, but about what, how I can meet you, how I can love you, how, how we can love not only the people that are in our community now, but the people that are going to be in our community six, six months from now, and the people that are in our larger community of Red Bluff. If we're thinking about them, the conversation is going to go way different than if we're thinking about me, right? Can we agree on that? And we can actually be united in love, intent on one purpose, united in spirit, having the same mind about things because we're laying aside me and we're thinking others. And we can even disagree on how to love others and still we'll be united. 
The flip side of this is this. You were called to freedom, brethren. We have great freedom in how we do ministry here. Great freedom. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Remember that word we talked about it the last couple weeks. Don't turn it into an opportunity to satisfy your own desires, to, 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 to get your own, your own uh, fleshly desires, limited human desires met. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And I think we all have been around long enough to know, to have seen churches that bite and devour one another and they are consumed. It can't be that. We can disagree, but we can't bite and devour one another. And it doesn't mean that we won't have in our flesh the sense of that, the desire for that. That lives in me too. But that can't be us. Or we'll be destroyed. And I don't think anybody wants that. Questions just to get us started this morning. How can we best fulfill the purpose for why God still has us here? Because we all know if he wanted this church to fold today, we would be putting a close sign on the window. I mean, he would he would shut it down like that, right? So why are we still here? What kind of church do we want to be? And what is our role to play in this community? Because we're here. All right, let's take a look at, at, at some things here. There's four things that I want to look at that I really do believe um, are what we should be about. In fact, um, before I came here, I remember in some of the conversations that we had when I was candidating, uh, I was asked, what's your vision for the church? And it probably sounded wishy-washy at the time, but I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, how could I know what vision we could have as a church when I don't even know the church, right? I'm just coming in. You guys are asking me questions. I, don't, I could tell you what other churches have done. I could give you a vision that fits another church, but I don't know until I get here what, what we're about. But probably six months in-ish, I began to have a very, very clear vision of what this body could be about. What this body, what I saw as this body's great strengths and some weaknesses that we have. Things that we do very, very, very well and things that we don't do very well. And, and, and so... These are some of those things. Some of the things we'll talk about this morning are some of those things that, that I think we can lean into better. But let me be clear. The things that I'm going to talk about today are not a comparison of the way things were done as compared to the way things should be. A lot of the comparisons that will be made today, actually, we are probably on the good side of that. The, 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 we're already leaning into some of these things really well. It's actually why it's part of the vision. This is a part of, I think, who we are and who we want to be. Um, but as we kind of go through this, you might, you might get in your minds, oh, Nate's comparing the old with the new. No, I'm not comparing that. I'm also not comparing like what other churches do and their ministry and their unique ministry and contribution in this community to what we're doing. I'm not saying that they're evil and we're good. 
at all. None of these things are, the comparisons that we'll make, are, none of these are evil. None of these are bad. None of these are, are wrong. But I do believe some of the ways, some of the comparisons, the one is not the best way to do it, and the other is maybe a better way to do it. Does that make sense? Better, best? Um, not evil, good. <laughs> not, they're all, you know, going to heck in a handbasket and we're doing the right thing, right? We're not, it's not that comparison. So let's get in. First one's this, that we be next generation focused. I know prior to me coming here, that was part of the conversation you guys were having, right? I know when I was talking to you guys, that there was a conversation about that. In fact, I remember very clearly being at the Forwards house, and anybody that was there, there was probably a half-hour conversation about, guys, we got to change or the church is going to die. I, I don't like to make those kind of things because that's, we really entrust that to God, right? Whatever God wants to do. But um, it, it is important for us to understand, and I think we know this sort of, you know, intuitively, but more than two-thirds of our current congregation is 60-plus. Two-thirds. While that is great, because the people that are in that group you're great, and we love you, and it's actually, I think, critically important to where God wants to take us, and we'll talk about that in a second, but we need to be investing in the next generation. We do. We could choose as a church. We really could choose this, and by the way, it wouldn't be evil. We could choose to say, you know what? We're just going to ride this thing out another 10 or 15 years. We're just going to ride it out the way it is, and the church can fold up at that point, and that's fine. Or maybe there'll be some miraculous, you know, insurgence of, of next-gen people that just, God just brings them in. Could happen, right? But again, we're going better best. Is that the best way to use the facilities and the resources we have here? I don't think so. I think we can agree that we need to be investing in the next generation, and I think hopefully we can agree on the fact that we're not doing that to the best of our ability at this point. In fact, that 18 to 35-year-old group, we have very, very few of those here. In fact, any 18 to 35-year-olds, why don't you throw your hand up real quick? We have three. We have three. Thank you guys for sticking it out. We love you. Uh, we have five, uh, right? So, um, and, and, and let me just say, the five that are here, we need to be investing in those five, right? Definitely need to, need to be doing that. But, but we also need to have more of that age group here to invest in, right? Um, and so the second thing is this, that we choose to tend towards styles and modes, the modes of the younger generations in non-essential matters, this is how we can meet the next generation where they're at and not try to make them meet us where we are at, right? If we're next generation focused. So the important question here becomes, what's non-essential, right? Because there has been a movement, there was a movement probably 15 years ago that was, that was like, we're going to get rid of all the essential things so that we can meet the next generation, 
No, <laughs> like now you're not a church anymore. Now you're not standing on the word of God anymore. That's a real problem, right? Uh, that's not what we're doing. So what's essential? Well, let's, let's start with some examples here. This is a little snippet from our website, which by the way, we have a new website if you want to check it out. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, this is one part of it. This is our uh, statement of faith. That's a part of our constitution. These things are essential. Can we agree? Like we are not moving one inch from the inspiration and authority of Scripture. Not an inch. And, and so, and, and what some churches have done, and I think this is the wrong way to go, and we're not going to go this, this way, is that is they do something like this. This is, a, this is a real statistic from a Gallup poll in 2020. Um, millennials, 9.1% of millennials self-identify as either LGB or T. If you're familiar with, if you're not familiar with that acronym, that's lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. Okay, it's it's a sexual sexual orientation identification. Nine point one percent. That's one out of every eleven millennials are identify in one of those ways. Um, Fifteen point nine percent of Generation Z. That's the generation after the millennials. 15.9% self-identify as either L, G, B, or T. And so we could say, hey, you know what? That's, I mean, of Generation Z, that's one out of every six Generation Zers self-proclaim I'm L, G, B, or T, right? So we could go, hey, to reach the next generation, to minister to them, we're going to... We're just not going to address those sexuality issues. Scripture addresses them. We're just not going to ever really bring them up. We'll just, shh, we'll just kind of hush, hush those things. Right? Or, worse than that, we could say, hey, we're actually going to twist what's in Scripture and make it seem okay from God's standard to live and, and practice in the lifestyle of one of the LGV or Ts. We could do that to minister to them, to reach them. There's a real problem with that, right? Because now we're ebbing away at the reality of the truth that actually should transform their lives, right? And so we're not going to do any of that. What we will do is recognize that this is a reality, and in fact, we might even teach a little more often on those subjects because this is something that those, these younger generations are dealing with, really dealing with, either in their own life or in, or in the lives of people that they know and they're friends with and their family. And so we want to both teach you know, God's view on this into their lives because they're getting plenty of other views out of that. We might teach more often about it. And we're definitely going to try to equip both them and us in the older generation to equip us to reach and meet the needs of this people group, right? Sure. But are we going to change the truth of Scripture? Are we going to change God's standards and try to pretend like they're not real? No, we're not going to do that because that's essential. What's non-essential? Paint colors, right? Order of service, the type of music we do, the lighting we have. The dress code standards, you know, some churches, you better be wearing a tie or you're, go home, you know, go get a tie on. Um, we're we're going to take modern approaches to visual media, 
You know, as you probably noticed, before I got here, and hopefully long before I got here, they got rid of the overhead projector, right, with the little film transparencies. I'm sure that was here, right? That was the way we did media back then. We got rid of that thing, right? And we replaced it with static PowerPoints. Hey, upgrade, right? And now we're moving toward what you guys see on Sunday mornings here, which is, is, is more rich visual media, right? Why? Because we're putting our focus in on the next generation. And by the way, when I say we're putting our focus in on the next generation, let me be clear. The, the picture, I don't know if you saw it, when I, the very first picture that was up here, I could go back to it. Um, I liked that picture because what it did is it, sh- I'm going I'm to show it because now I'm, de- I'm describing it. You guys are going to be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like this. So you can see the, the whole landscape is there. It's not that we're ignoring the landscape. Everything's there, but we're choosing to focus in on a piece of that and say we're going to prioritize that, that piece for a purpose, right? This doesn't mean next generation focused does not mean, hey, all of you older generation folks, uh, nice knowing you. See you later. There's probably some churches in town that, that are for you. No, 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 no. No, we're not doing that. Heaven forbid. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, so, so we're talking about non-essential things, right? Like modes of communication. Uh, I'm sure this church at some point had a, had a prayer chain that looked like you picking up the phone and calling the next person on the prayer chain, right? Which called the next person on the prayer chain, next person, right? So, so that's gone, and we're replacing that with texting and email and social media, um, Flyers used to be like black, you know, black text on a snazzy color of paper, right? Like if you get a nice blue going or a fuchsia or something like that, and it'd be like, ooh, that's a really nice flyer, right? We're moving from that to rich color printing, right? Why? Well, we're thinking next next generation, right? Uh, we're moving from communication mediums from tapes and, and CDs to podcasts and Facebook and YouTube, live streaming type stuff, media. Um, Glenn mentioned this guy the other night. I thought that's a perfect example. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the name Chuck Smith. But, uh, but in the um, you know, 60s and 70s, you had this uh, Jesus people movement, right, where you had all these hippies coming to Jesus. And, and there were lots of churches out there who were like, that's awesome, Come join us, but you need to cut your hair, right? You need to put on a suit and tie. Don't wear wear those bell bottoms in my church, right? And Chuck Smith said this. He said, no, 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 no. These These are believers in Christ who have come to a saving knowledge of him and are following him with their lives. Why are we, why are we care, care about these non-essential things? Let's meet them where they're at. And his church in Costa Mesa blew up, right? Full of these Jesus people who, who are going, yeah, that's me. This is a church that's for me. Like, I appreciate that these other guys want me there, but, but it's not me to cut my hair. It's not me to put on slacks instead of bell bottoms, right? So he, his was a church that met them where they were at. And in fact, his model of ministry started replicating. And now there's a whole Calvary Chapel network, right, of churches that, that went his way on, on this, this, this thinking. And of course, it's different now, decades later, yeah. But, 
But he, but he did it right. He did it right. In my, in my opinion, he decided we're going to meet you where you're at, not, not make you meet us where we're at, right? Um, so some philosophy, oh, whoa, 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 this is really important. I almost missed this one. <laughs> um, oh, so here's the third one. Focus on generational discipleship. Right, we could take. Um, there are plenty of churches that 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 are startups. They're they're church plants, and a lot of times the reason why churches church plant in areas that there are plenty of churches in is because they are certain that the church the churches that are there will not meet the needs of the next generation. Almost, you ask these church planting people. Sometimes it's that there's not a church, you know, there's an area blowing up somewhere in some neighborhood, and there's not a church in that area. That happens. But the far, the vast majority of church plants are in areas that have plenty of churches, but are going, you know what, this population's needs are not being met. And so we're going to come in and do a church plant. Here's the problem with that. You ask these church planters who have, who have done this for a while, and they will tell you the big problem, we have no wisdom in our body, right? We're full of 20-somethings and 30-somethings who are great and love Jesus, but we have no foundation. We have no root. This is where we are so poised for really good things, is that we are stacked with wisdom and rootedness and stacked with people who can build into the next generation in really significant ways, and so, turning our focus and, and saying, you know, we're going to be about generational discipleship. We're going to be about connecting the old with the young and being very intentional in doing that. In, in fact, um, there's a Barna poll that, that I really like. They did, they, they did this massive study over 10 years, 15,000 participants uh, of 18 to 35-year-olds. Uh, it's fantastic. The insights from that is amazing. I'm not even done combing through it. It's amazing what they, what they discovered. But here's a couple of things from this. Um, they found that 18 to 35-year-olds, that 35% of them say they don't connect well at their church. These are people who go to church regularly. 35% say, I don't connect well there. 32% say they don't fit in within their church community. I got to be honest, and I don't want to put words in any of them, the 18 to 35-year-olds' mouths, but I would bet that they're feeling a little similar to that because this thing is not for them. It's not really geared toward them. It doesn't speak to them where they're at. And so as we begin to focus in on this, what it does is, it, is it, it creates a place that they go, this is for me. But if, if, if we filled this place with 20 to 30-year-olds and didn't take advantage of our intergenerational discipleship opportunity, we would be crazy. What's the point of that? Go to some church plant, guys, the, you know, 18 to 35-year-olds. No, it's because we have the wisdom that we have and, and the life experience and, the, and the, we got people that have been so far down the road in Christ that can build into that younger generation and it's, we got to do it. But we got to be a place where, where they feel at home. It's really important or else this will never be their home. Some philosophy things here. 
Just little kind of catch words to get us thinking about philosophy. Authenticity over polish. And by the way, when I say these things, I'm not comparing them saying one is good and one is bad. I'm also not saying that we're, that we're all about polish here and we're not about authenticity. I actually think this is a strength of our church. I think our church leans into authenticity and should even more. We're pretty real. That's great. But the younger gen- generations really desire, they, they place a high priority on authenticity. I remember in the 90s when I was doing a lot of worship leading and leading a lot of worship groups, I remember having conversations, again, this, would be, this wasn't evil, but I remember having conversations with, with singers saying, you know, are you able to worship on Sunday morning? These were people who were leading singing, right? Are you able to worship? Yeah, I'm able to worship. Yeah, your face has not shown me that. So, so can you, like, connect your face to, like, what your heart is doing? Because, because in that model, right, it was about, not about performance for performance sake, but it was about performance to draw people into worship, right? But that sort of thing, which is not bad, is polish. The younger generations would, would much rather see a worship leader on stage doing something weird. I mean, if you see some of these, like, videos of worship leaders, they'll be like, you know, you know, doing something weird. I don't know. They're like, oh, you know. I don't, I don't know what they're doing. They'd rather see that because that speaks authenticity, right? They're just having a moment. I'm not saying we go there, by the way. But, but we lean into authenticity, lean into being real. Again, polish is not bad. And in fact, saying that does not mean quality. They don't care about, care about quality. They care about quality, that, that things are done very well but that it's not about polish. It's about genuineness, right? Uh, Relationship over ritual. They care much more about relational connection than they do about doing the right things that you're supposed to do at church, right? The the things that you come in, you sit down, you do the the right thing. And, And again, ritual's not bad. This is not a comparison like that, right? Rituals are good. And, and actually, Getting rid of ritual is not really what we're talking about here, but it's moving ritual into deep relationship. Even repackaging some of our rituals into something that's about community over religious practice. Because religious practice doesn't connect with this generation, but, but relational practice does. Um, there's that one i got to keep rolling. Impact over institution. They care far more. This is part of this Barna study. They, they care far more about the impact that a church is making over than keeping the church going. Again, n- neither of these are bad things. In, in fact, it's, it's a good thing that you, that you want to keep a church that's a, that's a historic church that's been around a long time. I and mean, this, this church has been around mo- longer than most churches in this community. And, and that's not a bad thing. But they don't care about keeping this institution going. They care about how are you impacting people? How am I being impacted? And what opportunities do you have for me to impact others? You, you might have noticed that this next generation is really big on, um, what do you call that? Going and, uh, I, I wrote it down, the word's just not coming to me. Um, activism, that's the word. They really care about activism, right? 
really care about that. There's a big increase in activism in, the, in their generation. Why? They want to make an impact, right? Um, we need to lean into being a church that prioritizes impact over institution, that prioritizes the, the, how we're meeting needs and, and building into people's lives over, they just don't care as much about being in the, in the church that their grandfather was in, right? That, what, that was a thing in previous generations and not a bad thing, it was a good thing. They just don't care as much about that. They care about what the church is doing, how it's impacting. All right, some quick practical outworking things. I almost didn't put these in here because I don't want the conversation to become about how we do this this morning. We're just talking about vision. But I thought if I didn't put it in there, we might lose a little bit of the vision. We might not understand the vision as well. So I'm just going to throw some of these things in here real quickly. Uh, modern worship singing, worship nights, uh, that, that kind of connection over music is really important to the younger generation. Um, the fact that we put in the, the children's wing, that we got all the kids in the same wing, does not matter to op- older generations. doesn't matter to me, to be quite honest. No one's going to come and take my kid from church. It's not, like, that's my opinion, right? But do you realize that more than 50% of 18 to 35-year-olds, one of their biggest fears is that their child is abducted? Like, I don't think that's even going to ever be even a possibility here at this church. But wouldn't we rather create an atmosphere where where a parent feels comfortable going, I'm checking my kid in, and I'm the only one that can check them out. And they're going to be in this wing until I come get them. Wouldn't we want to meet them there? I think we do. Um, Having a strong children's and youth ministry. This has been important, important for a long time. Some of you guys are here because there was a strong youth ministry here, and you stayed, right? Critically important to have, we don't have to have the best children's ministry or the best youth ministry. We just have to have a strong young adults and children's ministry. Um, smaller group interactions, uh, more, more, more relationality, right? Um, Relaxed atmosphere in our service that speaks genuineness, right? And I tend toward that myself. Um, renovating the facilities. We've, when we've talked about renovation, we've talked about this concept, right? We want to, making our house a home for who? Us, but particularly the next generation, right? We're trying to, to make it feel like a place that's for them um, by how we build structures. And you might go, I don't care at all about that, but, but they, many of them care about that. They, structure matters. Um, you know, physicality matters. Um, so there's some, some, some things there. All right. It's only the first one, but that was the big one, so, so let's keep, keep going. That was the one I, I knew I was going to talk the most about. Um, community-driven. Um, that we create many opportunities for and connections between people both at the church building and outside of the church building. That we be about being, being a relational community as opposed to somewhere I go and sit and leave. A play, uh, 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 as switching from kind of a location of that's this physical building that we're in to a, th- these are my people right? It's, it's not just some th- somewhere I go. It's not just something I do on Sundays where I slip in, do my thing, and slip out, but that it's a deeply integrated part of my life. So much so that if, that if I were to lose it, I, I would feel a deep sense of loss 
that I, that, that I might even go, I don't even know what I'm going to do now because that was such a, an integrated part of my life. I don't, I don't know. It's a part of who I am. I don't know what to do now that I've lost it. In fact, I was speaking to someone just this week who said, I don't want to lose my family. And to that I went, I don't want to lose you either, right? Like, like I, but I love that. I love that, that there's this, such a sense of connection and family, which we are very good at, by the way, and need to continue to, to lean in that direction, that, that we're so interconnected that, that there would be just a deep sense of loss to go somewhere else do something else. Move away. I, I remember uh, Joy Marshall, um, when, sh- when sh- she was here, she was having a really hard time thinking about leaving. You, some of you guys who know her know that. And after she was gone, she was like, I just want to come back. She, every time she was in the area, she'd come visit, right? She just missed her family. Um, it's huge. Um, creating an atmosphere at our Sunday services of participation. Um, I've talked about this one before when we've talked about different things. Most models of churches look something like this. Well, they don't look like red balls, but you get the idea. It's like you got one person and who is sending and a bunch of people receiving, or you have a few people on stage who are sending and you have people that are receiving. Um, moving from that sort of distance model, right, um, to a model that, that feels more interconnected, feels more like this has more of a sense of, of we're, we're in this together, we're doing this thing together on, on, on Sunday mornings in particular, that we're doing this thing together. Um, and, and try to avoid things in the way we do things that diminish a sense of participation. And I think there are lots of things that the modern church as a whole, but we too, do that diminishes a sense of participation. And, and trying to increase a sense of participation um, together. Um, to the end that I would love for us in, in, a, in a few years that, that more and more of us would, would be talking about the fact that we had just as much opportunity to be impacted by an encouraging conversation I had, a piece of wisdom that was shared with me, a, a moment of mercy that it was expressed toward me and where I'm at right now in my life, um, a loving correction or rebuke from someone else, that we would have just as much opportunity that that would be what I walk away with on a Sunday morning as it is that you would walk away with whatever we're talking about in Scripture. And that doesn't mean that we lower the place of teaching in Scripture among us. I think it's pretty important and key, and, and the early church thought it was pretty important too. But it's elevating these other things. Does that make sense? We're not diminishing that role, but we're elevating all of your roles. You might go, how do we do that? Well, we need to figure out how to do that. Uh, Third one, creating opportunities for edification from the many different gifted people in our body. It goes really right along with, with the previous one. As we've talked about, there are many passages passages in Scripture, uh, you know, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Ephesians 4, that clearly referred to the church as this interconnected community of gifted people who are edifying one another all the time. And we've kind of shifted over the years, and, and we've shifted to this, 
the edifier is up here and you're the edified, right? Getting away from that, moving away from that, structurally and how we do things, moving much more toward uh, empowering each individual gift, right? That's an Ephesians 4 idea. Um, some philosophy pieces here. Um, family over business. You've probably noticed this without us even talking about it. We have, we have really started to move towards more family language over business language. Um, and that's intentional. That's not by, by mistake. Um, that we have family meetings instead of business meetings. We have teams of people who are doing events and things like that instead of committees, right? We, we don't talk about chairs, committee chairs as much anymore. That still, still comes out. But we use that kind of language. Well, why? You might go, oh, that doesn't really matter. Well, we want to focus on the fact that we're a family. We're more like a family than we are like a business, right? And so um, we want to move more away from voting on a bunch of issues and more toward having conversations about issues, right? Families don't, you know, sometimes you'll have a little vote. And, and we do have to vote on some things, right? There's just some requirements. We have to vote on some things. It's just, you know, the way things work. Um, but we want to move much toward having interactive conversations and discussions about things um, like families do, right? Um, more relational, less transactional. Um, so family over business. Um, here's a little blurb from our website. If you go on there, we got a new website, by the way. If you want to check it out, it's cool. Um, Very nice. I'm just going to keep plugging it. Uh, 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 I, I think this encapsulates it. The church from its earliest days viewed itself as a family. That is what we strive to live and be at Grace Community Fellowship. We want to be about loving each other in a self-sacrificial way with Christ as the head of the family. Um, wouldn't it be great if, if this is what we were? I, I think we're, we're this in a lot of ways. Again, uh, I just want to lean into it more. Um, freedom over formality. Um, again, if we're thinking family, uh, I would like this much more to be like a, a family gathering at Christmas than it is uh, a lecture hall, right? Um, that, that it would feel more comfortable than that. You know, a lecture hall, you can go, you can get a lot of good information and you can leave without having to be interconnected with anybody else. Maybe you'll have a, a you know, superficial conversation with someone on the way out or something, but it's that, that's not a connected community, but that we are a connected community like a family is. Um, participation over passivity. And I know this is revolutionary in some ways and I get it, but I think it's it would be great if we could get here. That, that especially on Sunday mornings, that, this, that we would lean in toward participation over I come, I sit, I do my thing, and I go home. We've done that. Lots of churches have done that for years. A lot of you have done that for years, but I think we want more than that. I really do think we want more than that. But we've kind of just gotten into a rut of this is what it is. This is what church is. It's a passive endeavor. I just come and I receive, right? Um, but that we lean into to participation. And by the way, to be clear on this, that doesn't mean getting more people up on stage, right? Some of these conversations, it's like, oh, we want to get, we want more participation. That means we need more people doing things up here. No, that's not the way to do it. Uh, we're not going to get you all up here. And some of you guys are like, that's great, right? Um, but we're going to find ways 
that we can have more of a sense of participation with one another. Uh, some of the ways this might look, practical outworking things, regular social events, hopefully getting out of COVID, we'll do more of these things, um, but also encouraging informal get-togethers. So b- both having things available here at the church, but also having things in your homes. Yes, I'm volunteering your home right now, um, but, <laughs> but not all you have to have to do that, but, but some of you really want to have people in your home. I was just talking to Mike uh, the other night about having maybe a pool party or something. You know, let's do it, right? Let's get, let's get together. Let's be together, uh, and let's be intentional about connecting with one another and being together. Um, uh, all church projects and work days, we're definitely moving in this direction, and, and, uh, and we have people really thinking about this, Jane in particular, really thinking about how to do some of this stuff. Um, small group interactions on Sundays, but also throughout the week, that it not just be about what we do in here. And something that's been strong in this church for years is, is Sunday school, and a lot of that has been that small group interactive stuff, Right? Um, so again, we're not comparing like old and, and new, you know, good and bad. It's not that, that kind of thing. It's presenting the vision and, and us leaning in toward, toward these things. All right, community-driven, building disciples. Um, very important. You, you might go, uh, what, well, how do you define discipleship? A guy named Myron Rush, I like the way he describes it. He says, it's, it's one who recruits people to follow his example and guides them along the way as he is training them to do what he does. Of course, that's a male pronoun there, but we're talking about males and females, right? That, that, that it's about rubbing shoulders with someone. It's about going through life, walking through life with someone and showing them, hey, you know what? I've been that, down that road. I've been a mom before. I've, uh, I've had a, a sibling who's on drugs uh, and had to deal with that. I've had whatever it is, like I know how to build a chicken coop. And when I say I, I don't mean I. Someone here knows how to build a chicken coop, right? Like, like you just walk through life with that person and, and, and you make these connections, these discipleship connections, which are so key. I can say from my own life, I've been, been discipled uh, by many people over my life and it, it's, it's critical. It's, it's, it's imperative. Um, so uh, for us to be making connections between disciplers and disciples, being intentional about this, um, Creating specific opportunities and ministries for intergenerational discipleship. Again, discipleship is is fine, and 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 I've been in discipleship relationships and seen discipleship relationships where you have a forty-year-old discipling a sixty-five-year-old. That does happen, right, in certain circumstances. But the far more common model and the thing we want to lean into is the sixty-five-year-old building into the fifteen-year-old, right, or the thirty-five-year-old. That that. And so we, we create these opportunities for this kind of intergenerational discipleship to, uh, to occur. Um, doesn't force everyone into, into a discipleship relationship, but in, encourages it. Because whether you believe it or not, you have something very unique and important to offer to someone else, and particularly an, another young person. Um, and we want to make that happen. Uh, Working toward truly knowing others and truly being known. This is something that I really believe is at the core of what I would say is missing in the church, the modern church today. I'm not saying that doesn't exist at all, but we tend to want to be autonomous. We don't really want to be known. 
And there's a real problem with that because so many things in Scripture, I, don't, I have no idea how, how, how you can even do these things that Scripture describes the church doing if we don't know each other and know each other really, really well. Um, by the way, um, this is a little snippet from the website. If you don't know, we have a new website you should check out. It's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> this is the homepage. Uh, be known, be loved, be discipled. Uh, so this is just a small snippet. I, I, knew, I knew I couldn't go long on this. I'd like to go long on this. Literally, there's probably 40 of these that we could talk about in Scripture that I go, I don't know how we accomplish those 40 things without really knowing someone. Not superficially knowing someone, but really knowing them. How can we truly care for one another if we don't know each other? If we don't know what, how I can care, truly care for you, I might, I might hear what you're asking me for, but you may be asking me for 500 bucks, and I don't know that you have a drug addiction. Is that caring for you? I mean, that's a real bold example, but you know what I'm saying? Like, we need to really understand each other to know how to care for one another. Um, how can we effectively build each other up? We might be, you know, constructing some outhouse or something, and, and they've got a nice toilet on the inside, and that's not the thing that needs to be built into their life. That, that we, you need to be known so that others can build into you, and they need to, they need to be known so that you can build into them, right? Um, correcting one another rarely happens in the church, and I think the primary reason for it is we don't know one another. Because honestly, if, if I had a relationship with someone, I have done this plenty, I think I have some gifts in this area, if I know someone well, Correcting them comes from a loving place, right? They know, I just care about you, brother. Like, I just got to tell you, you, you know that that's not good for you. I know that that's not good for you. And it's, it's, and it's brotherhood for me. You know, it's, 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 it's a loving, caring relationship that allows me to correct that, that brother or sister. But the idea of correcting in kind of the model of church that we have now seems judgmental, Right? Church was doing it all the time in the first century. Being kind and compassionate to one another. Being kind is not being nice. Being kind is doing good. And sometimes you, you, you need to not be nice to do good. I'll just say that. Most of the time you'll be nice when you do it, right? But sometimes you, you need to not be nice. But that's not what kind is. Doing good to someone else. Well, how can I know how to be kind and compassionate to you if I don't know you, Right? It's just, we got we to gotta know each other and know each other well, very well. Um, some philosophy things on this. Uh, accountability over autonomy. I already talked about aut autonomy. We as Americans are like, it's me, maybe me and my wife, maybe me and my wife and my two kids, but we are an autonomous unit. Don't tread on me, right? It's not the church. It's not the model of the church at all. Um, so leaning in towards accountability to one another, being our brothers and sisters keepers. Um, depth over breadth. I see some of you going, man, there's just so much here. There is so much here, but I think, it, I think it's doable by the Spirit of God. I think we can do it. Um, depth over breadth. Um, this is something definitely that's been learned over the last 30, 40 years with the whole church growth movement, which if you're not familiar with that, churches came about increasing their numbers um, because that was looked at as the, as the good 
as good. The, the more numbers you have, the more God is working among you. Um, we've found over the decades that that is just not, there's no correlation there, right? That's not true. Um, and so sometimes a, a church that, that God is working deeply in and doing great things through is a small church of 60, and some churches that are 6,000 are just a wreck, right? And so um, focusing on deep depth, deep relationship over a, a bunch of shallow relationships, right? Um, and this doesn't mean limiting numbers. We're not even really talking about numbers. But what we're saying is we're, we're going to lean in toward being a deep and rich community of believers, let the numbers work themselves out. But what we're not going to do is try to get the numbers by being shallow. Does that make sense? Depth over breadth. Um, Rooted over casual. This one probably needs no explanation. We've already talked about it, right? Being deeply rooted in this community over having casual relationships with people. This is not a casual relationship place. We're a family. This is a, we have family roots here, right? Uh, some practical outworkings. Uh, small group interactions on Sundays and throughout the week. Uh, intentional one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Uh, wisdom panels, workshops. Uh, we did the wisdom panel. That was fun. But doing even like a Saturday uh, parenting workshop in which uh, those who have parented for many, many years are building into those who are trying to figure it out, figure it out now. Um, so doing those sorts of things. Building disciples. The last one's this. And I'd like to say that they're all key, but I think we almost can't do the other three if we're not doing this one, or it makes it very, very difficult, which is flexibility. So the idea here is that what has been done before will not hinder us from what God is doing now and in the future. Now again, the comparison here is not, not that what has been done before is wrong or bad or wasn't effective at the time or might not be effective now, but what what it won't do if we're flexible is it won't hold us back, right? It won't hold us back from what, what the highest good is now, what the best thing is now. And, uh, and again, that the best thing now might be something that was done 20 years ago. In fact, as we were talking about this uh, amongst the elders, I was, I was saying a few of these things, and Ted's like, we've heard this before. And I was like, yeah, we've talked about this before. He's like, no, they were talking about this in the 60s. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, this, some of this stuff is not new stuff, right? Um, but, uh, but that we're willing to be flexible. One of the, one of the great hindrances, um, the church I grew up in, I have a lot of good things to say about it. It was a great church. I'm very high on, on, on that church. It really made a huge impact on my life. But one of the things I think they did not do well was be, being flexible. In fact, uh, greatest example to me is there was this ministry that happened every year. It was fantastic. It was called Sweet Sounds of Christmas. Every Christmas, they were putting together this musical production and this, this, uh, this like, skit, this play that was kind of interwoven into the musical production, and it was always well done, and it was this outreach to the community. The community was happening. We packed the building every, every Christmas, um, and it was really about you bringing your friend. Like, that was, that was what 
the church was, was doing. It's like, hey, grab two friends, bring them to Sweet Sounds of Christmas. And, and every Sweet Sounds of Christmas, there's a gospel presentation at the end of it. it. It was highly effective. Everyone loved Sweet Sounds of Christmas. And it was going great for years. And then uh, it was Melissa's fa- my father-in-law, Melissa's father, who was the music pastor there, who was kind of running those things. He moved to Southern California. And suddenly the visionary person for this ministry wasn't there. And the church said, wait, 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 we got to keep it going though. We got to make it happen. And that thing just started going down and down and down and down. And then Mark took over and it went really down. And it was, it was, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it just, it just was a, for, it was a shell of what it was before. But, but it was kept being done. Why? Because it had been affected before. Instead of going, it's not working now. We don't have the right people in place. It's not the right thing. Let's just kick it. But you know how that's hard, right? When you've been a part of something that's so good. But if we choose flexibility, we say, you know what? Just because it's been effective in the past does not mean it's the way we need to go now. And so we're going to be flexible. We're going to choose to be flexible. Uh, Not easy. Not easy. Uh, this is a little snippet from the website. By the way, if you haven't checked out the website, we got a new one that you want to you see. <laughs> uh, says this, uh, we are a church that chooses flexibility in the way we accomplish the ministry and mission of the church. While our God and his word never change, we want to be open and sensitive to the best ways to love and serve our community of faith. I think that's something we can get around, right? That we want to be about doing the best things we can to serve our community of faith. Yeah. Um, risk over retreat. To go away from something we've known always requires risk, right? Something that's been working, this is my comfort zone, this is where I've been, to, to change is going to require a little bit of risk on our part. Because you know what? That new thing, we think it might work, we think it might be the best thing, and it might be a total failure, right? So we have to risk. We have to step out in faith and go, we're just going to give this a try. And because we're flexible, if it doesn't work, We'll try something else, right? It was something I was having a conversation with Ed the other day, and it was kind of a light bulb for me in trying to understand the church and how people are feeling about things. And, and, and I came to the conclusion, because not a lot has changed maybe over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, that the idea of changing something now feels like it's going to be around forever. Like it's, it's going to be the, like we're locked in, we're going to get stuck in the mud with this new thing that I don't like. Well, not if we're being flexible, Right? But, 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 but we do need to choose risk to try it out, see if it's going to be the right thing. And if it's not, hey, nothing lost. We'll go another direction. Um, and, and try to resist the urge to step back into our comfort zone, to retreat back into what we've known, just because it's what we've known. Um, effectiveness over traditionalism. Now, let me be clear here, uh, because... I've had a conversation in particular with one person who said, you don't like anything traditional. That's not true, actually. In fact, I like many things that are traditional. I don't like traditionalism, which is saying just because it's traditionally done this way, it is the best way to do it. I don't like traditionalism. I do like traditional things. So we lean away from that kind of perspective of going, this is the way it's always been done, so it's the best way, and lean towards what is effective. What works? What's actually accomplishing the mission for which we are here for? And, 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 and let's do that thing. Um, nimble over sluggish. Um, 
that we create in our church structures, and I think we're, we're headed in this direction. I, I got a number of examples that I'm not going to use, but, but where if we need to move in a particular area of ministry and, and actively move there quickly, that we, have, we are in a position to be able to do those things quickly, nimbly, instead of a, a sluggishness that goes, well, we know this is best for our church. We know we need to do this tomorrow, but we don't really have the structure to do that. Give an example of how we have been nimble this past year, and you can probably relate to this. COVID has, we had to be nimble to make COVID happen, right? Uh, I mean, how many different, how, how much were we changing this last year of different things from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday to just get things that worked, right? The fact that we could even purchase those tents out there, which ran about 1200 bucks, came out of the fact that we decided to move away from sluggishness to nimbleness because there used to be a rule in the Constitution that said we couldn't spend more than $500 without a congregational vote. So in order to get some tents that we critically needed, we were going to have to get the church, well, we were done with that at that point, but we would have had to get the church together and have an up or down vote about buying some tents, right? So we've increased that number to make us nimble now, right? Following on that, that we just have a structure that goes, when we need to do something, we can do it, and we're not going to let our structure hold us back from that. Um, all right, here's some exam- examples on, on, on practice. Um, Pews to chairs. This is probably the one thing today that I will say I think we need to uh, we need to finish off putting chairs in the back few rows there. We're not talking pods, right? Pods are gone. Um, but rows of chairs will make us more flexible. That's really the only reason to have them, to be quite honest, although I do think these are a little more comfortable. Um, but it makes this space much more flexible right, for different ways that it can be used. Um, we're not talking about this morning, but I do think we need to change the focal point of the room. We can do that with chairs, with rows of chairs, um, that we, can't, we just can't do with pews, right? It, flexibility. Okay, we'll talk about that another time. Um, regular renovation projects to update the facility to meet the current needs of our ministry. As we go, hey, we need this. We need this space to work better for this ministry that we've, we've got here, that we're regularly renovating things. And we're kind of in a mode of renovation right now, but even after maybe that mode is completed, that we would be thinking about being flexible in our facility, getting our facility to meet the needs of our ministry. Um, that ministry leaders and their teams will at least one to two times a year uh, meet for evaluation with a willingness to release what is not working and embrace other ideas. This, uh, was o- I think, was always a strength of our youth ministry over the years, is that we as a staff met at the end of the year every year, and it was a long meeting, and it was, it was to go, what's not working? How do we need to change? As you can imagine, students and the way to reach students and meet students where they're at it was kind of a moving target all throughout our years of ministry. So we had to be flexible. We had to reevaluate and go, oh my gosh, I love this event, but it's just not clicking with them. So we're tossing that event. What do you think is going to click with them? Let's try this one. I don't know if that's going to work. Well, let's risk it. Maybe it's not going to work, and we'll toss it next year, right? We, we stayed in a very flexible mode, and I think it, it made us a, effective as a ministry team. Here are the questions that we started out with. That was about as fast as I could do that, so sorry. Um, 
How do you see us already fulfilling this vision? In what ways can we do things better? Uh, do these things better? Are there any ways that you want to specifically be involved in helping the vision become a reality? Uh, I will press on that any vision, doesn't matter what it is, if there aren't people who are stepping up to, an, to, to live it out, to do it. Like, for instance, we're, we're talking about intergenerational discipleship. If we, if we get, you know, 20 young families in here and you guys, you guys are like, yeah, I'm not really interested in building to the next generation, it's not going to happen, right? Um, so how can you be involved in helping this vision become a reality? And what questions do you have regarding this vision? I think that last question is probably the one we'll talk most about. It's not about honing in 100% on the younger generation. It's not about that. It, it, but what it is about is probably changing some of our modes and the way we do things toward that younger generation while still uh, accommodating, is a great word, accommodating for the older generations. So throw Grace Hall out of your minds, because I know a lot of you guys have that context in mind. We weren't accommodating for the older generations over there. Part of it is we couldn't in, in a lot of ways. There were structurally some problems we had over there. Like lighting, we couldn't control the lighting as well as we wanted to. We, we had, didn't have anything going through the sound system, so you couldn't have any in error or whatever. But Accommodation is really important. I, I'm just going to agree with what, all of what you just said right there. And I, you guys all heard of what it is. Totally agree with everything you just said right there, Jane. So let me say this, because I think we're hitting on a similar subject here, which is a good subject and we need to talk about it. This is exactly how vision needs to be. Our, our accomplishment of the vision needs to happen is in lots of conversations over things. Okay, I'll give you a quick example you know, referring to pods, Ed and I had a conversation the other day um, about pods and, and how he doesn't like them and he's very comfortable for many, many reasons. What, through that conversation, we landed on the fact that Ed would be very, very comfortable in a pod of two. So we went, hey, maybe we do a pod of two or whatever. But that came just from conversations, right? Um, uh, Mike was over in Grace Hall when we were doing the second service and, and he's the first one who brought up, I can't hear a thing when all the groups are talking together. We need, like those conversations need to happen, no question, right? Um, that's how we get to the best way, the absolute best way to fulfill our vision, which is not in going, you know, suck it up, buttercup, you know? It's, it's uh, us figuring out how to do it together. Vision, and, and this, this conversation doesn't end today, by the way. If you, if you don't feel comfortable raising your hand, Let's talk. Let's have conversations. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. You guys know I've been in youth ministry for a lot of years, and, and, and literally the st statistic that's thrown out at every single youth conference is the number of high school students who walk away from the church after high school. It's literally, they talk about it all the time. Um, but, and I always had two thoughts on that. One is the, the kids are just becoming who they really are. So they weren't believers anyway. But, but they, they came to church, they fit in, they did what the church kind of, did the minimal things the church required of them to, 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 to be a part of the church, you know. Their youth group, they did the minimal things apart to be a part of their youth group. And then once they walked away and those pressures weren't on them anymore, they became who they were. We've seen it in youth ministry. But the flip side of that too is, then we have these great kids, which we had lots of them, who loved Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, they're 
now graduating, they're going into college, they're in their mid-20s, and they're like, I can't find a church. Well, why? Well, there's just nothing for me. Like, this is literally conversations I've had with my former students. And I go, and sometimes they're in areas that I don't know the churches in those areas, but I I just want to, you know, I don't want our our 20-somethings in our community to be thinking that. To be going, to be going. I want to follow Jesus, but I don't even know where to go do that. That's my kind of thing, you know. But I would say there are a couple of ministries that I know of up there that are solid Bible believing, Bible teaching churches that are next next generation focused. They're doing both, and they're doing a great job of it. Um, there's two I can think of, and one of them is doing a great job altogether. I would say the other one was a church plant 15 years ago, and they have no wisdom in their church. They have no, no intergenerational discipleship going on in their church because they're all millennials. That's, it's a huge drawback to that particular church. Um, so, yeah. And they have a different flavor of ministry than, than we have here. And in fact, you guys know Sarah Joy, my niece, uh, went there a couple times. She's like, it's just not my thing because it's, you know? So, uh we need to do something about that. I, I'm hoping this summer we're going to do something about that. But this was really about stepping back and saying, let's 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 lay down the practical outworkings of this for a bit, um, and the the changes that have been going on, and let's have a discussion about vision. Let's. I think we need to have that discussion and continue to have that discussion with each other before we start talking about the the next thing. But but I think the next thing will involve renovation for sure. Um, I think it will involve uh, some changes to how we do Sunday mornings. Um, I think it will involve some changes to what we're doing midweek. You know, I would like to see us uh, maybe even rally around Wednesday night as a night to to have some things going on. There's already a youth ministry going on. We'd like to be able to minister to some of the parents that of the youth that that are coming and dropping their kids off and then going home, have something available for them. There's lots of things that we can do if if we can all come together in, in, in unity of purpose, right, in unity of vision. Um, but, uh, but I think those are next steps, Conver- conversations to have after we have this conversation. So yeah. we, we have to create some structures around that because, because we want to empower people to disciple, right? And, and I'm a firm believer in that, uh, we got a bunch of disciplers sitting in this room right now, but but you're, like you said, if you if you don't n- don't know what that looks like, don't know how that works, um, it helps to have some sort of a, a of a structure to go. I'm going to step into this, and you know, I have a I have a little Bible study sheet that we're going to go over or or something, you know. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you, and, and I have some things in mind for that because uh, I I grew up in a church that that was excellent at discipleship. It was a high priority for them, and they did a very, very good job of that, in my opinion. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you because because sometimes it's not it's not the des- the desire doesn't get you there. Like I, I do want to build into somebody else, but I don't know if I could do it. You know, yeah, gotta gotta have something going to to help with that for sure. Please keep keep talking, um, particularly to the elders. That's probably the most constructive conversation that you can have. Uh, and me too. Um, I'm not scary. You guys who have met with me, I'm not a, I'm not a scary guy, right? Uh, maybe a little bit. <laughs> uh, uh, 
come talk, because it, it only benefits us to have more conversations, um, especially when they're, they're directed towards constructively helping us to love and serve people better. Um, so let's keep having those. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, I am just so absolutely thankful for uh, this group of believers that you have knitted together, that I get to be a part of them, that I get to show up every week and and uh, and interact and, and, and love on them and they love on me. And um, I just, it's just such a neat group of people that you have, you've collected here. And, um, and so I'm really excited to be a part of, of it. And I'm excited for what you have, uh, what you have set out for us that, um, what the next year and two years and five years and 10 years and 20 years are going to look like as, um, as we're empowered to ministry as a church and, um, and as we, uh, just begin to build into the lives of those that you'll bring amongst us. So, um, just pray that, uh, through all of this, that our eyes would not, um, shift from you and, um, and your standards and your word and your, um, and your, your, your mission for us here. Um, may we, uh, submit to you and, and, and recognize that you're the one at work among us, that it's your spirit that's actually doing the work. Um, we just get to be along for the ride. Thanks for today. In your name.